Welcome to For Something Greater. I am Dominic Hawley, your host, and I am so happy you are here today. This is a podcast where we dig deep into what it takes to pursue your dreams, create an impact, and be a world changer. We get real, honest, and vulnerable. We dig into the challenges, the roller coasters, the triumphs, and everything in between. So grab your coffee or your green drink, and let's dig into today's episode. Welcome to this episode. I'm so excited to be able to share the episode interview I did with Juan Bendena. He is an amazing motivational speaker who speaks mainly to high school students. And we dig into his story, his history, and how he became one of the top motivational speakers to high school students at his current age of 24. I'm really excited to be able to share this. It was such a great example to me of really knowing what you want and pursuing it regardless of what happens. So grab your coffee or your green drink and let's dig in. Okay, so <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Awesome. Um... Okay, so what I'm curious about is you, you know, when you're 19, decide to be a consultant, start your own business, because you wanted to be the person who you wish you had. Did I kind of summarize mm-hmm. that correctly? Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. can you take me back, because most 19-year-olds don't do that. Um, so can you take me back to the moment where you're like, that's something I'm actually going to do. Like what instilled the confidence for you to actually go and take that step? I I don't know if it was, if if it was confidence as much as it was being naive of seeing all of these people like starting businesses and doing these amazing things and, and be like, Oh, that, that looks awesome. I like, I could totally do that. And finding out that there was real work, behind building something meaningful not just having you know a few a few clients and like doing this like freelance thing like actually doing something worthwhile and I feel like that first endeavor was almost like a reality check Mm -hmm. of like this is something you want to do prove it you know like it was it was very much so testing my my will to start something not traditional and not getting a regular career because I I had no idea what that was going to be yet. So I feel like it was one big test that I needed to take and sort of roll with the punches of, of building that and like, and attempting to create something, but really it was like, okay, I have no idea what I want to do. Let's just try and do this and let's, let's, figure it out. Okay. How do you build a website? Let's figure out how to do that. How do you set like send a proper email? Let's figure that out. And just kind of just like figured it out as, as I went along and realized how much I still had to learn and mm-hmm. how like entry level I was. Um, but yeah, it was an amazing oh. experience overall. So I want to push back a little bit because this is So in the podcast, this is the area I'm very specifically fascinated in is the time that somebody has an idea 
to the actual execution of it. So most, a lot of people have ideas. Oh, it'd be cool to do this. It'd be cool to do that. A significantly smaller percentage of people actually go and do it. And so that's actually the space that I'm most fascinated by. Um, so what would you say, because you, you talk about it, I think you get that it's not normal at 19 to do that, but you just kind of like glaze over that, that like, oh, I did this and I did this. What actually, was it your group of friends that it was such a normal thing to just go do that? Um, was it your parents? Like what instilled in you, yo, I'm just going to go start a consulting business? I think it was because I, I don't think it was my immediate friends. It was definitely like I had very supportive parents. I still do have very supportive parents um, in the things that I wanted to do. And I was involved in the personal development environment. And I was seeing all of these models do amazing things that I was like, okay, hey, how the heck do you do that? And it was, it was driven almost by curiosity. It wasn't confidence. It was curiosity to see if I could pull it off or if I could do it or if, if, if I could do something and, and like the same with the consulting, with the book and with the speaking now, like I was never the most talented writer or the most talented speaker at all. Like, like I was terrible in front of groups, awful, would speed through my points, would tell stories like just at a hundred miles an hour, would, wouldn't make eye contact with anyone, even in a group of like 15 and across the silver lining in all of those different projects was an unwavering persistence of just like, I may not be the best or the most talented or the most skilled, and I'm definitely not the most talented or the most skilled, but I will, I will outlast and I will be, be the most persistent person in the room. Like I had so many speeches at the beginning of, of, my career of what I do now where I would bomb the presentation and feel like I wanted to throw up afterwards. Mm. And like for a lot of people, they'd be like, Oh, that's probably not for me. Like I'm not really good at this thing. And I find a lot of people, especially if you have like younger listeners in the podcast of people that like try one thing and they're like, Oh, well, I'm not really good at this. I was like, yeah, great. You're not supposed to be. Mm-hmm. At the beginning, there's there's very few things that you're going to have innate ability at, that you're going to have natural talent, that you're going to be performing at a superb level. That's almost never the case. Yeah. yeah. And and I find that so many younger people, and I say younger, like I'm 25, people in their mid-20s and even 30s that are starting businesses that are like, oh, okay, I'm going to try this thing. And they don't get results at first, shocker. And then they quit. Yeah. And then they started seven things, but didn't stick to one. So, so where did that persistence come from? I'm going to keep like pushing back here because, because of what I'm really fascinated in is, so you speak to high school students and I'm sure you're quite curious, like with the impact that you want to make on high school students, you know, what is it? that actually has them go and do that thing that they want to do and go and make that difference or go and take that. So if you look at it in your life, where did that persistence and grit come from? I think it was, it was a mixture of things. One of them was really the utter fear of 
living a mediocre life. Like so I was. Where did that come from? I was ter. I, I have literally probably conditioning, probably my family, my parents, some random experience I had with an uncle when I was seven, like that he said something at a family party and it stuck with me. But it was always, and I feel like in, oh my gosh, this is like super um, meta, but they're <laughs> um, in a book called the uh, the Talent Code. Okay. It talks about hotbeds of talent. And if you're listening to this and you haven't read the Talent Code, literally top three books of all time, in my opinion, personally, it talks about building world-class skill and world-class talent. And they talk about these hot beds of talent and finding the commonalities and the silver lining between high performers and people that are the best in their game. And they talk about this thing called primal cues, which is essentially different characteristics, different environmental components of someone's upbringing that cue them to perform well. And one of those primal cues that they found was being the youngest sibling. And the primal cue was, I need to catch up. Oh, interesting. That was the subconscious cue that that drove a lot of the decision-making for people that are youngest. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I was, I'm obviously You're the, the youngest, youngest. <laughs> in, in my family and the youngest in like my extended family of all my cousins and everyone. And I was always seen as like, the the baby like in in spanish culture like el nino like i was like the baby of the family and and i was early on i was never taken seriously yeah and my voice was my voice wasn't heard as much as like the older cousins at like the family party and whatnot um so i feel like that may may have played a part of like you know i i like i can i can be something um which which moving forward past that point because I was the kid in high school with like no self-confidence overweight depressed didn't want anything else for life could make everyone laugh Mm -hmm. was like pretty good with people and and friends and I was friends with like multiple different friend groups but when it came to like me and like personally where I was at I struggled quite a bit and I think what helped me get over that was in part not playing the victim and not being like, oh, why me, why me, why me? And as opposed to taking a little bit of ownership into like, okay, if I want something, like I got to actually put in some work. And if I want to be an exceptional and I, you know, I want to do some great things, I got to be the hardest worker in the room. So and I can keep asking this, just like, and where did that come in? Like where, cause, cause I've heard some of your speeches and you talk about who you were in high school, right? And um, and then, you know, it kind of seems out of nowhere, which I know is not true, but at 19, you decide to start your business. So it's like from who you were in high school to this, you know, 19 year old who decides he's going to start his business. Where was that? Like, what caused that change? I think that was part of the change. I don't think there was a switch that flipped. That I was like, oh, I'm 19. I'm this confident per- person that's going to start this thing. I think that was that decision moved me towards becoming that person today and making those decisions, the ones of like starting the business, of losing the weight, of setting the alarm an hour earlier, those conscious decisions, I forced myself to become confident. I didn't give myself a choice. It wasn't in a moment. It wasn't an epiphany. It wasn't a conversation that I had. It wasn't this like grandiose thing. 
it was literally like you're I used to sleep in until like 12 or 1 p.m like oh when I could I would sleep in I was like expert level at sleeping (laughs) until one day I was like you're not gonna sleep in anymore that's not who you are and it was so associated which is a really like huge point in in and I accredit so much of it was it was so associated to my identity when I was overweight I was so associated being overweight was so associated to my identity sleeping in was so associated to my identity so I was like you're not going to do that anymore you are going to wake up early and I had months and months of mornings where I'd wake up tired I don't want to wake up this is annoying I hate this this sucks until it didn't Mm. And I kept on doing that thing. So I think it is the conversation I have with high school and university students far too often of like, like, how did you like become this person? Like it didn't just happen. Like it was making the uncomfortable decision every single day to wake up earlier, to send the emails to event planners, to see if I could speak at their event or at their school every single day to do the speech, make the decision to do the speech and then bomb and suck and make the decision to do it again and do it again. And that kind of ties back to the whole persistence thing. And I think slowly but surely that shifted my identity for me. And that is what like the, the, the story arc of where I was when I was like a 17 year old kid that had some a little bit of confidence, but not a lot to the person that I am right now was thousands of individual decisions that I made that I would say the majority of them were ones that I didn't want to make things that I was uncomfortable with that I was not cool with, but that I knew was a product of success for other people. And I was like, huh, okay, that makes sense. I'm going to try that too. Yeah. See, I find that so fascinating because I really couldn't agree more that there's really not that like thing and then it switches and now you're this person who goes and does you know, all these incredible things. I really think it's this repetition and, you know, washing the dishes over and over and over and over and over again. Um, But I think in my experience, there's that one moment that you make a change that like draws a line in the sand. And it sounds like for you is like, you know, I'm going to get up early and that kind of drew the line in the sand. And I'm like, now this person who gets up early and it creates some version of a new identity. And that new identity then goes and creates more, more things related to that identity. And I have one more question and then I'm going to move on just because I find this really fascinating is, so when you woke up that one day and said, I'm not going to sleep in anymore, what caused that decision? Had you been watching something the night before? Had you like, what shifted that for you where you're like, I'm no longer going to do this. And this I'm really curious about is because I have um, a younger brother who had a very similar high school experience. And, um, and you know, what change you made was not a change he made. Right. And so I find this really fascinating is what actually prompted that decision to not sleep in anymore? I think, and I, and I totally agree that there are so, and I can pinpoint the moments in my life where the, it was like enough is enough. And I know the, I literally know the day with weight loss. 
Mm. when it happened when I was like 55 pounds more than I am right now. I remember the day I was in California and I was like, this is enough. It's not going to happen. I hated where I was and I was just fed up. I re- I reached satiation. I was like, nope, not another day. This is changing. And for the next three weeks, I literally ate plants for three weeks. Every single meal, I just ate vegetables. That's it. Trained twice a day for two and a half to three hours a day and was like, just done with it. I was like a different person. And, and with waking up, it was, I had, I had seen like, I had friends that, you know, would wake up at like six in the morning. We're part of the 5am club, like all this stuff. And they're like, Oh, we could get so much done. And there were so many things that I wanted to do. And I associated success with waking up early. Mm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, which is a terrible reason to wake up early by the way. Um, because there's no leverage. I was doing it for an ideal that was created by other people as opposed to something within myself. So I set the alarm at 6am and I woke up and I got to the gym and I was super excited and I showered and it was like 8am and I'd gotten a workout in and, and things were amazing. Then the next day I slept in Mm, because it wasn't, it wasn't for me. It was for someone else. It was for another ideal. It was for something outside of myself when I switch that perspective to like, what are the things that I want to get done? What can I do with this extra time? And when I saw waking up one hour earlier a day, you get an extra month in a year of being awake. When I saw that and I like literally wow. did the math that wow. I know it's insane. You don't think about that. And time awake. If you wake up one hour earlier a day for a year, you gain a month of time being awake. That's pretty crazy. Which is nuts. So I did that math because uh, a friend of mine was like, you know, you're, you're losing a lot of time. I was like, wow. And I I was losing a few months a year. Mm. And I was like, how can I, like, what can I do with this time? And got associated to like, what kind of, and again, like with the identity thing, I was like, do I want to be someone that, that doesn't, doesn't stay, stick to their word. And that was like shot. Like, cause I was, that was like congruency. I was like, do I want to be someone that's like talking this one thing and not even living it? You know, mm-hmm. I feel like in, in, and I'm still, I'm still working on this of, of like things that I tell students. I'm like, I got to freaking live that. If I tell students, if I tell some, some kids to like go buy coffee for a stranger, like I got to go do it. And I remember <laughs> I posted a challenge two days ago and I didn't do it. And I went to a coffee shop at like 4 PM and I went to go do it because I'm like, my word is everything. And I'm not going to teach something that, that I'm not living. So I realized that the transition from not living it and just talking about it to actually like, what kind of person do I want to be? And I was like, I'm a morning person. I would tell myself this like every day. I'm a morning person. I'm a morning person. Honestly, to this day, today, woke up at six in the morning. It was leg day in the gym. Didn't want to go do legs at all. I woke up, it's pitch dark in Toronto and I'm like, oh, I could sleep in. I've been working so hard and all these stories start coming in your head, justifying the decision to stay in bed. So I was like, I took a second. I was like, okay, what's really true? And that's what I always, I always ask myself that whenever I'm like telling some like debilitating or lazy or sad, like any type of stories that I feel like could be better in my head. Um, I always ask myself the question. I was like, what's true? I was like, okay, what's true is you go to full eight hours of sleep. What's true is the gym is calling your name. 
What's true is it's going to set your day up in a meaningful way. What's true is it's going to be 8 a.m. You're going to be done your workout and you're going to be ready to smash the day. But no, go ahead, stay in bed. And I like, I like toy with myself, like psychologically. And it, within like five minutes, like hopped right out of bed. And I still like people are like, oh my gosh, you're so motivated. It's like, that's not really true. It's not something that's so seamless. I force myself to get out of bed. I mm-hmm. force myself, if I'm feeling lazy, I will go for a run. I'll go sprint. Yeah. I'll do something with my body to get myself out of that headspace and like just have a fresh start because, you know, I'm not perfect. I don't think I know nobody's perfect. And I find it's when we do the things intentionally and make the decisions to get ourselves out of our own way is when we're really able to build those identities. So I'm really hearing and and like so much of what you're talking about is there is this vision of who you wanted to be. Yes. Yeah. And when did that vision get created? Oh, that vision was from when I was in school, from when I was like, in high, like a kid. Like high school? Like at yeah. like what age? I think when I started, when I was in grade nine, grade nine, grade 10. Okay. And I had, you know, the, the aspirations initially of being like, I was a kid that wanted to be everything. I wanted to be a photographer for National Geographic. I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a uh, Broadway performer, a chef, uh, a professional snowboarder, like all of these different things. And I'd always had this picture painted in my head of quote unquote, the life Mm -hmm. of like, having amazing friends and an amazing family and being successful with an incredible career. So that picture was always painted, but not set in stone. It was always, it was always changing. And really what I realized, it was like, I want to have a dope life that I'm really happy and I'm able to create happiness for other people. Like that's, that was the silver lining within every, that was the golden thread within everything. I was like, I want to be able to have an epic and happy life. And I want that life to be able to make other people live epic and happy lives. Like that was, that was it. But the problem was when I was in high school, my main primary question that I would ask myself every single waking second of the day unconsciously was how can I make everyone happy? That was my thing. That's why I could make, learned how to make people laugh early on. That's why I would connect with so many different groups of friends. That's why friends would come to me with anything because I wanted to make other people happy. And as a result of that, I was miserable mm-hmm. because you, you know, you fill up everyone else's cup and then you're empty. So I going into college of like, and, and university of, of figuring out what I needed to do like for me so that I can more effectively help other people because I would do all of these things that would completely drain me. And I wouldn't say no. I was terrible at saying no. I would say yes to everything just because I wanted to make everyone happy because I wanted acceptance from everyone. And really it was, it was showing up with a lesser version of myself because I wasn't able to perform and show up at my full capacity. And so what was that kind of like moment where you decided to pause and actually look at, you know, what is it that for yourself you needed to do? Like what kind of, gave you that moment I think I and I think those moments again happen incrementally because I've had moments recently within the past month where I'm like wait you know you're like take care of yourself 
Yeah. Like I had, I had moment I, early on in my career where I was at a conference and this is just a vivid example that, that I'll give that I think will illustrate it. I was at a conference in Malibu, California. Uh, I was speaking, it was like 400 students at Pepperdine University where they filmed Zoe 101, like beautiful campus. It was like such a great gig. I felt like I was like, oh, like we're really moving forward in my career and the level of impact and all this stuff. So it was a four, four or five day conference. And I show up, I was keynoting the first day and I was staying for the rest of the week and going to the banquet and then going to another conference the day after. So I had time to go to stay and hang with the participants and the students. And I did the speech and it went really well. And like kids wanted to take pictures afterwards and like have autographs. And like, that was my first exposure to that. So it like Mm. completely took me off guard and it like, I was like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. And kids wanted to have lunch and all of this stuff. So And I remember every lunch I would sit alone and like let conference attendees, like students just come hang and just like talk. Right. And this went on for like day two, day three and day three to day four, I started feeling this like weird tension that like I could not explain. I was like, what the heck is this? And I realized maybe a week or two later that I was I was so on Mm. and I was so like there and like in like student leadership conference mode that I no time to like recharge. Mm. Like I'm an extrovert, but after a speech, like I need to come home, make some food, turn on Netflix and see no one. Yeah. Like I need, I need to recharge. And I didn't know that about myself until that point. Yeah. And I, I felt this like weird tension. I had felt it before, but I, could, I couldn't ever explain it before. Mm. But this was a really severe uh, version of it. So I wanted to figure it out. And I realized I wasn't doing the things to be able to like recharge and, and re-energize and like be present and then go back to it. Because like a 60 minute speech takes a lot of energy talking to students and, and having a one-on-one students are sharing all this stuff with you. It takes a lot of energy. So finding the balance over the, over the past few years has been absolutely incredible and interesting Yeah, of finding my stride within that, of knowing when I need to like turn off everything and when I'm good to, to be on and, and ready. Yeah. Yeah, I tend to go to extremes and then I just like, I'm like, that's it. I'm not talking to anybody for like a week, which yeah. also is not overly beneficial. Um, yeah. Okay, so I want to go to, so you wrote your book. Mm-hmm. At the time, did you write it because you were planning on pursuing like public speaking professionally? Is that why you wrote the book? Twofold. One, definitely for that reason. Um, but two, it was a passion project. It was something I really wanted to do. And, and I, I had the, the thoughts of my English, my grade 10 English teacher, whose name will remain unsaid, <laughs> of saying like, Juan, you're not a writer and writing is a gift you were born with. Like she was super poetic. She was like, wow. writing is a gift you were born with that you just weren't. And those words like, and she would say these things over and over and over again. And in my mind, like part of it started to like, and I would tell myself, yeah, you're not a writer, but like someone says something often enough with enough conviction, you start to believe it to be true. 
so I was like, okay, like, I guess you're not a writer. And, and so a part of it was like questioning that ideal of like, what if I was like, what if I, this is something I'd wanted to do. It was a cool thing that I thought would be a fun summer project. And yeah, and it would help um, the speaking or so I thought. So that was sort of the reasoning behind, behind that. And so how long did it take you to write your book? Front to back. Oh my gosh. So funny story. It was five months in, I was about 150 pages in about halfway done the book. And I was like, feeling really good. Finished like a seven, eight hour day of writing. Yeah. Close my laptop, wake up the next morning, wiped. Oh, this is before yeah. like the cloud and Google drive. Yeah. <laughs> Everything wiped. I didn't put it on a USB, didn't put it on a hard drive. I oh, was no. rushed. And then I was like, the next morning I just woke up like clean slate. I was like, okay, that was a good practice round. Let's like, let's, let's go for it. And, and front to back with editing, uh, the publishing process was five months. Okay. There. And yeah. I love how you, and this, I, this is, this is why I almost take things real slow. Cause you're like, and then the next day I woke up and was like, that's a great practice round. Most people would really struggle with that. So what was it? Because most people would be like, oh my goodness, I just spent five months, like, blah, blah, blah. Were, had you developed your mindset to such a point where it was just like, okay, cool, that was a great practice round? Or was there a process that you had to go through in your mind that allowed you to kind of the next day, like, you know, wipe yourself off and get started again? Yeah, I think it was a mixture of both, but I think it was really just like, and I still to this day, I'm like very practical in like, just like, if we want to do something, do it. If you can't change it, you move on. If you like just that overly practical nature that I've always had in, in some degree of like realizing, and this was instilled from my mom from early on of like, if something happens, and you can't change it, move on. Okay. If you can change it, change it. But if you can't, there's no point of worrying about something you can't change. And my practical brain just like stuck onto that. I was like, yeah, that's true. If I can't change something, I, I, it's, 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 there's no point in focusing on this or, or being pissed about this if I cannot change it. If I can, awesome, let's figure it out. But, and I definitely had like over that day, I was angry and I was defeated and I was like ah oh, I should just this is a sign this yeah, is a sign I that I some people write. would say it's a sign <laughs> yeah I was like this is a sign from the universe that I shouldn't write this book or like uh, all the the bullshit stories that we tell ourselves and it came to a point where I was like okay we don't have and this is kind of like back to the whole like what's the truth like and that oh my gosh I cannot emphasize enough how game-changing that simple question has been for everything in my life. Mm. What's really true? Because oftentimes we're telling ourselves things that aren't true. I'm like, okay, what's the truth? Well, it's gone. Mm. Can we get it back? No, the computer's wiped. Okay, what are our options? And just like, either we can quit and move on or we can just keep on writing. And that took like a day. I took that night off. I was like just wallowing in my own sorrow and and then I realized I was like listen I can spend a week or two weeks or three weeks complaining about 
what happened or I can spend two or three weeks taking action and doing something about it because things happen. Like things like this are going to happen. And I feel like all of those moments of like the book being deleted, bombing a speech, having a, a client not pay, um, getting negative feet, like all of those micro moments have all contributed to building a level of grit like you said before, and, and resiliency that now, yeah, it may seem like I've got a pretty good handle on it, but it was, it was from years of, of crap, of like, you know, eating dirt mm-hmm. to say the least. Yeah. So what I'm, what I want to dig into for like the next seven minutes is because how many so how many speeches have you given since the time you decided you're going to start doing it? Over a hundred. Over a hundred. Okay. Yeah. So, and I'm sure you get asked this quite often and what's your, so can you encapsulate your main message or the thing that you really hope lands over there with whoever you're giving a speech to? Like what's the main crux of what, what it is that you talk about? the main the main message for for students is helping helping students make better decisions and lean into the things that they're not cool with so that they can impact themselves and the people around them and what i mean the things that they're not cool with the things that they were uncomfortable with that's like such a core thing of like if you don't want to go talk to that girl or that guy do it if you don't want to wake up early do it the the most impactful experiences in my own opinion are on the other side of the things that we do not want to do. And I feel like people don't get that. They literally don't understand it. Even people in their mid-20s wanting to start businesses, teachers, adults, parents, educators, a lot of times the tough conversation that we don't want to have, the, the approaching the girl or guy that we like, or the business that we really want to start, or the video that we want to shoot, but we're not sure of how the people are going to, what people are going to think about it. That's literally the number one thing we have to do. Yeah. In that moment, because we've been way too prime, especially young people. And I consider anything like, you know, like mid teens, twenties and thirties young, yeah. we've been primed to the easy way out, the instant gratification of getting a like, and it's that shot of dopamine and then we feel better, but it doesn't build anything that, that really lasts. And so I'm sure you probably get asked quite often, you know, Juan, I want to, I don't know, become a public speaker or I want to do this. I want to do this. So given your experience, kind of your progression of what you've accomplished and done, if you kind of try and distill it down to a process or some sort of system, do you have kind of it somewhat distilled down that you would be like, okay, you know, here is X, Y, and Z. Not as necessarily like you need to go talk to this person, but do you kind of have a system in your own head that if you want to go tackle something you've never done, you know, it's like, first of all, I need to do this. Like, for for example, for me, I've really developed a mindset system. So it's like, I have this idea. I need to get really clear about my limiting beliefs about this idea. Otherwise, I'm going to talk myself out of it. Like currently I'm planning a bike tour from Windsor to Ottawa. Really bad idea. 
had I not decided to like work through all my limiting beliefs. So I have that, that system mindset wise. So if somebody were to come up to you and say, Juan, I really want to, I don't know. I really want to become a public speaker like you. What would you tell them? And is there some sort of process that you would also suggest? Oh, and this is definitely my overly practical brain, but give us, go give a speech, go bomb us any, anytime anyone's like, I want to get into speaking, go give 10 speeches. That's literally, that is literally what it, like, go That's give it. 10 speeches. Just go give 10 speeches. But it, to give a little bit of a process of like, go do the thing, go give the speech, go like write an article, go sign up, like sign up for the dance class, whatever it is, take yeah. action. I think is the number one thing before any of those stories pop up. Take action would be number one. Then assess what went well, what went terribly, how do we improve the things that went terrible, and how do we double down on the things that went well. That is literally the sole framework that I'd use to build my speaking career. Mm -hmm. Of like, go, I would go give a speech. 95% 95% of it would go poorly. I would see, okay, what jokes didn't work? Was I speaking too fast? Why didn't the audience get that? How did I tell the story? I would see what went well. And at first it was like, you didn't faint. Good job. And I would see what went well. I would double down on that. And then I would keep on refining still speeches to this day. I had a few speeches last week at some conferences for some colleges and I gave some speeches and some things went exceptionally well. Some jokes came out on stage that I'd never said before that crushed. So right after I got in my car and I had my phone and I went to notes and I literally wrote out exactly what went well and mm. what could be improved upon. Okay, well, my pacing here, my transition here, the messaging here could have, I could have given a call back. Um, this like, and I'll, I'll constantly give myself feedback and seek external feedback as well. Mm. I think you need both. So if that is speaking as, as per this example, I think it's going to give a speech, getting feedback from yourself of what went well, what went poorly and getting feedback from someone else. What went well, what could we improve upon for next time? Refining, doing it again, refining, doing it again. I don't think it's about giving a hundred speeches in the exact same way. Because yeah. I don't think practice makes perfect. I think practice makes permanent. Mm. So I think you need to practice in an effective way where you're practicing, getting feedback, adjusting, practicing, getting feedback, adjusting, practicing, getting feedback, adjusting, practicing, and then keep on doing that, even if that's swimming or yeah. building, you know, building a car or acting. Like it's all the same. Like you, you do the thing, you get some feedback, you work on it and you work on your craft and you literally, I did a run through today. I literally did a full speech run through in my condo just to the wall. Yeah. I was need to get timing cause I'm doing a few big events next week and I need to be on 35, 30 to 35 minutes on the mark. Wow. So I need to be, it's, I, I need to be on point. I need to know exactly what stories I'm going to use, what points I'm going to hit how my transitions are going to be, what's my opening, what's my closing, and all of those different things, accounting for audience reaction, laugh times, um, 
so that's my refinement process. Then I'm going to go give the speeches, see what went well, see what can be improved upon, and then move on. And what's an example in your life, aside from your, your career currently right now, that you're doing that? Right, the gym. The gym? The gym, absolutely. Okay. I'll go in, I'll do a workout, I'll see sometimes like a, a certain workout, I'm pushing a certain weight or I'm not doing it with proper form, and then I'll see what went well, what my strengths are, I'll double down on those, see what my weaknesses are, see how I can work on them, and then I'll go back in and then readjust and readjust. And also my nutrition mm. as well. Mm-hmm. I'll like have a salad and see how I feel. I'm not, I'm not even kidding. Like I will have a salad, see how I feel. And then I will adjust. And sometimes like I realize that if I have like too many carbs for lunch, I'll have that like midday slump. Yeah. So I've moved my carbs to dinner so that the excess glycogen is in my system the next morning for my workout. So I get like super nerdy about that kind of thing. <laughs> Um, but that's, that's a, that's a different, that's a different way that I sort of measure in and improve. Um, and then also snowboarding, but that's only in the winter mm. snowboarding. Like I always like to challenge myself to get better of like, what can, what's going well, what can I improve upon and making those adjustments and pushing past like what I'm comfortable with, what I'm afraid of and like pushing to the limits of my fear um, which snowboarding is like a physical manifestation of my own fears of yeah. like, you should go hit that 30 foot jump, oh even God. though every cell in your being doesn't want to like, that's that. Yeah. That's, that's definitely a way. Yeah. Not, not my, not my thing. Yeah. Um, okay. So I have a question and then, so, I'll, um, but before I give you the question, you know, I really want to acknowledge you. I think, you know, the more I dig into doing a podcast and talking to people, um, there's a certain amount of uh, uh, vulnerability and authenticity. I think there's a certain amount of vulnerability that's required to put yourself out there and share both the good and the bad, which, you know, I, I kind of stalk your, your Instagram and that's something you do really, really well. And um, and I think it's so incredible specifically for a male figure to do that and to be in the space of speaking to high school students and really making that impact. Um, it, it takes something and I just really acknowledge you for that because, uh, you know, I'm sure it's not the easiest thing to do. And I'm sure sometimes you're like, never mind, I'm just going to like sweep this under the rug. It'll be all good. Um, nobody's going to notice. Um, but really working to be congruent with what you're saying to other people, you live in your own life. And I think, you know, that's probably a strong, um, contribution to where you are today is that congruence that's so important to you and your integrity. So I really want to acknowledge you for that. Appreciate that. Um, so yeah, the last question is, you know, if somebody is sitting here listening to this and saying, you know, I really, really want to make an impact. I really want to end human trafficking. I'm just going to use that example because that's something I'm highly passionate about. You know, Mm -hmm. as an 18 year old, I really want to end human trafficking, but I don't know what to do. What would be your, your, what would you tell them if they came up to you and said that? Become obsessed. Okay. I think 
I think that find when when we're talking about things that you can be passionate about, uh, whether that's a cause, a nonprofit, a mission, a business, a a relationship, uh, anything like that, I think passion is one thing, and it's like it's good that you have a passion about it. But oftentimes, passion lead like you know has us excited when we're talking about it. But if you build an obsession around that passion of like this is something I need to research every single day. And this is kind of going back to my practical brain of like, when I was starting out in this, I would literally research every single day, every single person that existed in the industry, exactly what they did, what their videos were, what their websites were, what their messaging was, every single speech on YouTube, I watched it full through. Like, I feel like there is a certain level of obsession that is needed to be great at something. Mm. And 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 not even good at if it's if it's a cause of of human trafficking and it's an 18 year old that wants to make an impact in that do every single possible thing you can to research every aspect of that thing become an expert in that thing see how you can get your world involved within that thing whether that's human trafficking whether that is poverty whether that's the water crisis which I have a dear friend that is tackling that problem, whether that is uh, with students in high school, like whatever that thing is, I think passion is an amazing thing to have. And I think it's necessary, but I think behind that passion needs to be an obsession that some would see as like, Whoa, that's like a little much Mm. because I find like when you're doing something really significant and you're, you're pushing the boundaries of what's possible for yourself and other people in the thing that you're doing, a lot of people are going to look at you like, yeah, that's a little crazy. Like the, you're, you're a little nuts. Wait, you're biking from Windsor to Ottawa. Why the heck are you, you know what I mean? So I think you've got to have a little bit of that obsession that will push you past all of the outside turbulence of people saying like, Oh, that's kind of whack. Why would you do that? That seems kind of pointless. That sounds like a long bike rider. You can have Gatorade and like all of these you're things. literally saying everything that everybody said to me yeah all of these things but like i get it right like when you said that like Windsor to ottawa i was like cool sounds awesome like <laughs> it wasn't even because there's a different level of mindset when you yeah. are an obsessive that other obsessives just understand yeah and if you haven't honed that in and i'm still working on, on my own as well if you haven't honed that in study every single day and like mm. learn your thing. And even if you don't know what that thing is, because a lot of students in high school and university, the average university student switches their program four times. Oh, wow. Average. Yeah, average is four times. So even if, and this is so important, even if you don't know what that thing is, get obsessed about learning what that thing is. Research different practices, go into fashion, learn about photography, learn about wildlife conservation, all of the different things. And that kind of develops, hmm, I kind of like that. I want to move away from that. I feel Mm. like that's how you kind of hone in on what your thing is to be able to triple down on that and like make the long bike ride. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I love that. I love the obsession because it really does. I think motivation and passion is one thing. But the thing I think I've really shifted, especially with this podcast, is that's one thing. It's often fleeting. But it's like, what is it that's going to allow you to have the grit to continue when it's like the last thing you want to do that day, right? Mm -hmm. And once you figure that out, you know, 
it's kind of that sweet spot. Absolutely. Amazing. Anything else you wanted to say that I haven't asked you or that you haven't said? Awesome. Uh, I think we covered, I think we covered a pretty cool story arc of like different ideas and concepts of things of just like to lean into the things that you're not cool with, to have an obsessive nature about the things that you want to pursue and to kind of drown out the turbulence and kind of make your, whatever your metaphorical bike ride from Windsor to Ottawa is. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever metaphorical. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been really great. I love digging into like that very specific space. Um, And good luck on all your speeches next week. And I'm sure we'll talk again. Awesome, Dominique. Appreciate it. And thank you for everyone who is listening. Appreciate you for, uh, for tuning in. Okay. Talk to you later. Awesome. Bye. Bye.